Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, Hebrew, Shinar, and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves and a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That's why the city was called Babel or Babylon because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So if I had to boil the sermon down this morning to one word, it would be Jenga. Can I get, any, can I get a volunteer who's ever played Jenga before to help me a little bit? Abby, would you do it? You're, I know your mom, Cody kind of got you into that. I'll, I'll give you an opportunity at some point to get even with her. So, so you're probably going to want to come up here. And, and can you do about 10 moves of Jenga to just show them how you play? So if anybody hasn't played Jenga, has everybody played Jenga? Okay, there's maybe a few who haven't. So Jenga is basically wood blocks. You pay like 20 bucks for the small set. And uh, this is a giant one that, uh, that Sharon Nikolai lent me. But uh, it, it works the same, so keep going. Just, just do 10 moves. Don't worry about the fact that I'm talking. So you kind of take blocks out of the bottom, and each time you put the one block up, and then the next person takes one out, and they put one up. And you got to pull them out gingerly so that the tower doesn't fall. You can just put those up top first, and then uh, you're, she's hardcore. She took two off the same level. That's like the Jenga master move. So why, why Jenga? Why, why do I say it's, it's Jenga? You can go ahead and ask. Why Jenga? I'm glad you asked. So you, you take the blocks, you put them up, and uh, that's how you play. But Jenga really is kinda, can kind of be a metaphor for life, can't it? It's, uh, it's something that really parallels a lot of the things that happen in our lives. We're always trying to build something, always trying to make something of our lives. We try to build a little higher, do a little better, try to make something of our lives. Maybe it's in our career, maybe in our hobbies. There's goals we set and things we go after, and uh, we're trying to get somewhere with everything. But just like life, there's limited resources, right? Like there's only so many blocks there. That's looking dangerous enough. I'm getting scared. Okay, we, we should stop now. 
Thank you, Abby. She really is good. If you could see it from my side, it's like kind of sparse back here. So, so it is kind of like life because you're trying to build, you're trying to get higher, you're trying to do something, accomplish something, but you only got so many resources. Like you've only got so much time, you've only got so much energy. Uh, for most of us, we've only got so much money, right? And we're trying to stretch all of that. We're trying to do something with what we got, but, but it seems like we're always kind of building and building and, uh, and, and eventually it gets really difficult to figure out what we've got to remove in order to fit something else into our schedules. Like what's, what's going to get missed? And then we feel guilty, like things get a little sketchier. And uh, as, we're, as we're pulling from this thing to do that thing, we can try to accomplish everything. We can try to go as high as we want to. But, uh, but eventually the limited resources get to us. And some people get competitive about about accomplishing things in life, right? Like they look at their neighbors and they, they think, I, I, they have a really nice car. They just remodeled their kitchen. Or my friend, they just got this new job and I don't seem to be getting anywhere in my career. Or I can't afford that. Or they've got a riding mower. I got the guy across the road, he's got a lawn that's pretty small and he, he's got the riding mower. And I look out back at my house and I go, I got a lot of grass here. And I just moved up from the electric mower with the cord finally got something new, but it's not a riding mower. It's not anything fancy. And so we, we kind of do the comparison game and some people get competitive. And, and sometimes you're working so hard, you stretch yourself so thin that it feels like the tower you're building gets less and less stable. Amen? Like sometimes you're stretching yourself, going so far, going without sleep, trying to fill up your schedule, trying to get a, the right education, trying to do the right things, make the right moves, that you feel like there's just never enough time in the day. There's never just never enough resources to really get the job done right. There's never enough money to, to do what you want with your home or with your hobbies or, or with whatever it is you like to spend your money on. And so some of us might start to feel eventually like we're just working so hard all the time that it feels like we're, we're on the verge of collapse. Like the whole thing could come crumbling down any minute if we aren't ginger enough in the way that we, we line things up and the way that we remove things and the way that we put things in. And so in our story, there's a tower too, right? And they're coming across... Uh, and traveling east, it says, east, if you look back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, and, and you read the story there, and, and when, the, when Adam and Eve are kind of booted out of the Garden of Eden, you remember they start to walk east, right? Because they put a, a guard, an angel, at the eastern gate of Eden to block them from coming back. And so they're moving further and further from where they started in Eden. They'd been so close to God. They'd walked with God and, and they'd felt close to him. In the, in the cool of the day, God would come down and, and talk to them like a friend talks to a friend. But, but they're getting further and further away from that. They're just migrating east. And as the people are traveling, they, they get to this new region and they're far enough away from, from Israel that things are different there. 
And so they stop at a place called Shinar, it's called in, in Hebrew, and that's what it is in the original language. But they settle uh, around Shinar, and Shinar's where Babylonia later would be. And so the author tells us it's kind of in that land that one day would be called Babylonia. It, it's called Shinar in the Hebrew. But they get to this place that's so far away that it's not the same as Israel. In Israel, they built with stones. And they put mortar between the stones and they built their houses that way. But here, there's no stones. And, and if they were to try to build a stone house, they'd have to trek their stones in from places like Israel that are too far to travel there. And it would get really, really expensive. And so if they're going to build anything, they've got to come up with some new technology. And, and so mankind kind of adapted in that area and, and they learned how to build bricks. And so they, they built kind of things with, with just kind of mud bricks. But then when they built for, for fancy stuff like this that they wanted to last. They learned how to fire bricks in a kiln so they were a little harder and they could handle the elements and, and they would have built things like in that way. And, and so in our story, they build a city and a tower. And cities weren't places they lived then. They would live on the plains, but, but the city would be where you'd go for resources. So they'd, they'd gather resources in there, and, and that's where you'd go to shop for things. And that's where you'd go to gather with the rest of the people from the different parts of the plains. And it was always kind of built around a temple, and the temple usually had a tower. And so they build, and, and they build with bricks instead of stones. And they, it says they, they began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And it says in this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar for mortar. That's, that's what they had to work with. And so then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. It was a city with a tower. And, and a, as we go through the story, it seems that they'd, they'd built this city and they built the tower the way they normally do with the, with the temple down below it. And, uh, and in our story, God seems kind of threatened by the fact that they're building a tower. And so he says, oh, if, if they set their minds to this, they'll be able to do anything. And it doesn't really sound like God, does it? What, what could his problem be with them building a tower? Uh, we noticed that he never stopped the building of the CN Tower, right? Like 1,815 feet high and, and not one bolt of lightning kind of hit it and struck it to the ground. So why is God threatened by a tower that would have been about 300 feet high in their time. It's almost like in the story, it almost sounds like, well, heaven is just high enough that if they build the tower just right, they'll be able to make it into heaven and they'll be able to take over and God's kind of worried they're gonna be able to storm the gates or something. But that doesn't sound like our God, does it? So what is God's problem with this tower? See, in this area, they build the cities and their temples. And the temples were the ones that had a certain kind of tower. They had this kind of tower, a ziggurat. And, they, and it was built kind of like a pyramid shape, 
although it wasn't hollow on the inside like the pyramids in Egypt, like there was nothing that they were using the inside of the tower for. It just would have been those mud bricks and, and then the, the fired bricks on the outside. And, and they gathered together and they built it up to the sky and, and they had these, these uh, staircases that went around them so that you could climb all the way to the top of the tower. And as scholars have looked at it, it's, it's also believed that their religion kind of, what they taught people was that not only could you climb up, but it gave God a way to come down. And so their gods that, that they saw as being up there somewhere could, could come to the top of the tower and, and they could walk down and they could find their way to the temple. And, and in the temple, they could provide them with offerings of food and grain sacrifices and things like that. They could provide what the God was looking for, all the resources the God needed, and then the God would be happy with them and the God would do what they wanted him to do. I mean, it sounds like a way to go if that's how it works with God. And so they could give God a way to be served food and, and other resources and uh, then he might feel indebted to them and to the people. And, uh, and they'd get what they want from him in return. See, the people that were building this tower, they wanted what they wanted. And they saw their religion as a way to get what they wanted. It was a means to an end. If you build one of these towers and you got your, your temple just down below that, you can do things in a certain way so that you can get what you want. And so they build it basically to manipulate God. They build it so that they can say to God, here's what we'd like in return. And that God would, would respond by saying, well, it's only fair. Here you go. And so they build this tower. They want what they want and they want to use God and they want to accomplish great things, and they, they say that they're building it so that they'll be famous and so they won't be scattered all over the world. But just like Jenga, as long as they're counting on themselves and their achievements, as long as they're kind of working their own agenda for what they want and what they're looking for, as long as they're kind of selfishly motivated by what they can get, and that their religion is designed to manipulate God so that God will give them their wishes, it's kind of like a tower made out of wood blocks. And so they say, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. It'll make us famous. Like people will see this and they'll admire our accomplishments. They'll think, boy, those guys have really done something. And we won't be scattered. We'll gather together. And our one goal that we'll be united in is building something great for us. Building something so that everybody will look at us. Building something so that we'll be admired. So our needs are met. And our need for importance. And our sense of self-importance will be fed over and over and over again. And if we build this tower. And there are gods up there. We'll enlist their help 
to accomplish what we want to accomplish and to draw attention to us and to make us famous and to make us important and to do what we want so that we'll be puffed up. See, their motivation for building is completely selfish. It's a monument to their greatness. So they build this religious tower level by level. They spend time making bricks and piling them together just so, so that they can go as high as possible. And they fire the outer bricks in the kiln and they make sure there's not a crack between for rainwater to get in and wash their tower out. It's going to be a great tower. It's really going to be something that's awe-inspiring. When people stand and they look up at our tower, they're going to think we're pretty great. It's all about personal greatness. It's all about karma. It's all about them and it's all for their glory. They'll manipulate God and he will fit their plans and they'll be seen as a big deal. But just like Jenga, the higher they build and the more ambitiously they go after their own plan and their own selfishness and their own desires and their own agenda, the less and less it really has anything to do with God. Not the God that we know, not the real God who created the heavens and the earth and pours out his blessings on mankind, but whose glory is magnificent and who deserves every word of our praise because it's him that deserves the glory and not us human beings. It's his agenda that should drive our lives and point us in the right direction and make us decide that every footstep should be where he wants it to be and where he wants to lead us. So they build this monument to their greatness. And the kindest thing that God can do is to make sure that they can't keep going, that they end up abandoning all plans to go any higher, and that they stop and they can't speak to each, any, each other anymore to make that kind of plan so they're scattered to the winds by the fact that he's given them different languages and they can't communicate anymore. And God isn't jealous of their accomplishment. He isn't trying to stop them from something that would truly make them great. He just knows that if they focus on themselves, they will destroy everything that's good and pure about human beings. And the kindest thing he can do for them is divert them from that plan so that maybe they will come to their senses and they will see God for who he is and they will realize that he deserves the glory and he deserves to set the agenda and he is the one who is great in the heavens and that he will pour out his blessings not because we manipulate him but because he loves us. And the thing is, if we may not be tempted to build a tower in our communities, we may not be tempted to, to do the religious version of Jenga in the sense that we're going to build a ziggurat out back and try to get as high as possible. 
we're not that naive, but sometimes we are naive enough to think that we can ask God for what we want and we can tell him all the things we've done for him. God, I've gone to that church for 25 years and I've been faithful and I've given to that church. I've given lots of money and I've done this and I've done that and, and, and nobody seems to be paying attention and nobody's giving me the credit that I'm due and, and God, don't I deserve a little recognition and don't I deserve a, a, a little pat on the back and, and boy, people aren't noticing me for all the great things I'm doing for you and your kingdom. And we can start to make even our religion about us and about what we like and what we think we need and what will make us feel good about ourselves and make us feel more secure and make us feel more like we're worth something. And we can work for our own reputation and our own sense of worth. And God is saying, you're worth something, but it's not because of your accomplishments. It's because you're made in my image, because you're mine, and I love you. And you don't have to manipulate me to get your needs met, and you may understand your needs a little differently than I do, but the things I give you are the things that you need, and the things that sometimes you try to get by your own means, and the tri things that you focus on building. Sometimes the kindest thing I can do is dash your plans because they're the wrong plans. And you'll never be satisfied if you follow your plan instead of my plan. And I love you too much to leave you alone and let you just ruin everything. So sometimes he steps in and sometimes he challenges us in ways that feel overwhelming but in the end, force us to focus on him. They drive us to our knees, but, but your knees are kind of the safest place you can be. And so they build a tower and we build stuff. But you have the choice to decide whether you're just gonna build what you wanna build and ask God to bless it. Ask God to get involved and give you what you think you need to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Or you can ask him what he wants next. What he wants to give you and what he wants to do in you and for you and what he wants you to do with the resources that he's provided to you. So that you can build a life that is stable, a life that won't run out of resources and feel like it's teetering on the edge because everything that God calls you to do and everything that God calls you to build, he will provide every single resource to make it rock solid. And if you do what he asks you to do, you'll have everything you need to do it. He promises us that. The question is whether we're asking God to come down and meet our plans or whether we are seeking him for his heart for us and his plan for us. And the truth is his plan is always better. Always better. Let's pray together. God, this morning is...
we've looked at this story, we understand, and, uh, and it can be easy for us to, uh, to get caught up in our own concerns and to make our own plans and to go after our own goals and, and to ask you to bless them, to, to come seeking you, but not so that you'll tell us how we should live, but so that you will meet our needs the way that we see them. And we get frustrated with you sometimes because you won't do the things that we're asking. And we think if we do it just right, if we pray the right prayer or, or give the right gifts, if we, if we come to you in exactly the right way, then maybe we can get you to do what we want. And as much as we see ourselves doing for you, we realize that you are not the kind of gods that the Babylonians had that had needs that you don't need anything from us. That what you want is our praise, our worship, that you want us to pour out our hearts and to seek you and to obey you so that we can have the kind of lives that you planned for us, lives that are rich and fulfilling and so much more rewarding than anything we could plan for ourselves, but it's so hard for us to get, let go of our own control and our own sense of what we need. It's hard to surrender to you. It's hard to give you that place in our lives. We can sing about how great you are and how much you love us, but to make you truly Lord and Master. It's hard. And so we ask you that you would show us, that you would help us to have the courage to go on the great adventure of submitting to you in every way, listening for your voice and following your spirit and abandoning every plan that we've made without you that we expected you to bless and to allow you to take over to direct our lives and to point us in the right direction and to mold us so that our lives become rich and fulfilling and purposeful because we are obedient to you and your spirit. Help us not to seek a religion that would try to meet our needs as we understand them, but that we would trust in your love for us enough that we would know that you know what we need better than we do. That you would not grant our wishes, but you would provide everything that it would take to give us the lives that you planned for us so that we can be filled by your presence and follow your will and live the rich, abundant life that Jesus promised us because no other path to that life exists. No other tower can reach that place but to submit to your will and to make you Lord of all things, to be obedient to your spirit and your word. And we know that we can't do that on our own, but help us this morning to seek you in all things, to ask you to move into our lives and lead us, not where we want to go, but where you want to take us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.